This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our spotlight is on community activism and human rights. My guest is Taos Nguyen. He is an Atlanta-based author, orator, and human rights advocate and founder of the Perfect Love Foundation and the Millennial Civil Rights Movement. His movement has a multi-generational approach to combating ageism, racism, sexism, homelessness, poverty, and reaching out to the community. He's been doing this for quite some time and has won many national and community service awards. He is also in a coalition, a member of Faith Works, along with interfaith leaders, with the common goal of promoting voting and civic engagement. He's also working as a political coordinator for Stacey Abrams for Governor. We talk with him about his career, his approach to serving the community, and his successes and visions. To reach out to Taz, go to TazWin.com, as well as PerfectLoveFoundation.com. Taz and I are coming at you right now. I wanted to welcome you to the show, and I wanted you to tell our listeners who you are and what it is you do. Sure. So, first of all, thank you for having me on the show today. I'm uh, definitely happy to be a part of it. My name is Teos Wynn, and I am president and founder of the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign. Awesome. I was reading a lot about your background and doing my studies. Um, your background is in public policy? Right. Okay. What actually made you go down this route? What is your background? Where did you grow up? And was that part of shaping what you do today? Absolutely. And so uh, my background is I grew up in the state of Georgia and uh, the southern Bible Belt. My family was military, so we moved around quite a bit for the early portions of life, and then we settled back down in Georgia. And so being a part of the Atlanta community, the home of the civil rights movement, uh, human and civil rights has always been kind of in the, the forefront of our thinking. And uh, my family definitely did a great job of instilling that in me as well. Uh, both my parents were simply uh, engaged and active in the community. And so all of this kind of played a part in creating the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign. But to be honest with you, there were really three things that really started the genesis of the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign overall. And the first thing was overall the tensions, the polarization, everything going on on the national scale, and just how divided things had become. Looking at the United States overall and seeing that people were so divided in their thought processes and the the reality that the commonality existed between most people as far as what we were trying to accomplish, but the the outcomes and then the procedure on how to get there, there was such drastic differences and varying opinions. And so with everything going on on the national level, um, in the news, the division, the, the mass shootings, the uh, unarmed uh, police brutality that was going on, so many catalysts that were occurring really uh, propelled uh, a response. And I knew that the response needed to be bigger than myself on an individual basis. 
And I felt like the best response would be a generational response. And so that was the, the first catalyst. Uh, the second catalyst was an interview uh, that I watched with former President Barack Obama where he challenged American people and constituents not only to acknowledge issues and also the things in society that we wanted changed, but then to create cultures and create spaces that actually have the changes in them that we would like to see. And so through Millennial Civil Rights, we're able to create spaces of conversation and dialogue that really emphasize some of the things that we want to do and that the things that we would like to see on a national level. And then the third thing that really started the campaign really revolved around this idea that growing up in school, so much is celebrated and we're, we're nearing Black History Month right now and the MLK holiday. And so much emphasis lies on the civil rights movement of the 1960s, almost to the degree that it was everything was accomplished during that time frame. And the reality is there's so much more to do. And in speaking to some of the iconic civil rights leaders that were involved, um, we really want to be the organization to pick up that baton for progress and pick up that mantle and take it further in our generation. And so we're committed to doing that and really having a generational effect but those were the things that overall started the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign. Having uh, grown up in a military family myself and being able to move around and get a different perspective, not only the world like yourself, um, different cultures, different people, do you think that that has uh, not only shaped uh, what you do and, and your learning and, you know, wanting to go law and with public policy, but not only with what you do, you're more open to people and cultures, I would assume, right? Absolutely. Uh, coming from a military background, one word stands out, and that's diversity. There's so right. much diversity and so many cultures that you're exposed to overall growing up in a military family. And so, absolutely, uh, inclusivity is a huge, huge component of everything that I do, and including the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign. And so, to your point, absolutely. When you talked about Barack Obama and, and as he was talking about um, coalition and community building, that's something that you have in common. In fact, you won an award that bears his name. He was able to build a coalition and a team around them. But also, what you do with your Perfect Love Foundation you're intergenerational also, even though you target millennials. Um, how important is it for us to actually work together with many generations of people to, for this common goal of uh, not only serving the community, but making a political difference? To be honest, it's, it's vital. It's critical. It's imperative that we learn to work together. And the thing about it, although even our namesake, Millennial Civil Rights Campaign, uh, although we bear the name millennial in it, that's really simply to signify our generation. But our whole approach is being inclusive and intergenerational because we firmly believe that in order to adequately address some of the nation's most pressing issues, it's going to take all of us. We each have a part to play, and we all can get involved and so we don't want to discount the generation that's beneath us because they're younger than us. No, they have a voice and they have something vital to say as well as the generation that came before us and the immense amount of institutional knowledge that is available. 
in our initial approach with Millennial Civil Rights, one of the first things that we did was we sought out leaders in this space. We had the conversations and sought out the endorsements of your Congressman John Lewis, who is a civil rights icon. We sought out the conversation with Ambassador Andrew Young, who was a civil rights pioneer and legend. And we had the conversations to figure out what were the best practices when you all went about it. What are some of the issues that you all see today still going on? And then how can we work collectively to bring forth solutions in our generation? How can we work together? I also think it's important to bring everybody to the table because you have such a difference of opinions and so many things that can come together and you get the best results, you get the best innovative strategies when you have people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different understandings all coming together and sharing their experiences. And so for us, being intergenerational was non-negotiable. We don't want to isolate ourselves and isolate our generation because then we'll be restricted and limited in our ability to make change. If we're seriously committed to making change, then, we underst- then we'll understand and all of our efforts will reflect the urgency of getting everybody involved right now. When you talked about uh, the 60s, John Lewis, um, Andrew Young, Jesse Jackson, a lot of the um, leaders that we learned about over the years through their various coalitions and efforts, whether it be in Congress, grassroots. Um, the 60s, of course, were a major time of change. And as you just mentioned, there's still much more work for us to do. In one of King's last interviews, he was dealing with the economic issue of black folk for that time. You know, he was dealing with that and said that he spoke of the um, I Have a Dream, maybe prematurely, and this was in 1968, probably a few months before he passed. One of the things that you do with your Perfect Love Foundation, of course, you, you go out and you help serve underserved populations, and, um, of course, you also have your political side. Where do you see, with this current climate that we're in, of not only race tensions, political tensions, but also economic and environment, how do you think that you and what you're doing with this movement can help to impact? What are the three things or four or five things you, you see straight off the bat that um, your foundation and what your work is about and how you can spread that and help some of the divide we've got going on today? Because it's really, it's extreme. It is. It is. And you, you just touched on some really hot topics Um and recurrent thoughts, I think, that are going through the, the country, uh, and we talked about intergenerational, I think that a lot of those concerns are shared across the spectrum. Uh, you mentioned the racial tensions, which yes, we're still dealing with, we're still dealing with that, and part of our, uh, approach this year is to create resolutions that both acknowledge and apologize, in a sense, on the state level and on municipal levels for the um, injustice and inhumanity of slavery as a means of creating the grounds for racial reconciliation, furthering the work that was done in the 1960s. But racial racial tensions is definitely an issue. Gun violence, mass shootings are a huge issue mm-hmm. right now in society. Right. And so our question is, what are we doing to be proactive in really preventing the next mass shootings from occurring? And currently in the state of Georgia, we've been working with lawmakers to draft a particular piece of legislation that is in response to that. 
that will restrict high-capacity magazines, which are used solely in these mass shootings, is through semi- and assault weapons, semi-automatic assault weapons. And so we're, we're taking steps legislatively where some of that is concerned. Climate crisis um, is it, just that. It's a priority, and it's not something that we can afford to wait to, to tend to and address. We have to move forward in addressing it now. And so, once again, um, through legislation and legislative actions, we're looking at what can we do, whether it's eliminating plastic bags and single bag use, if it's what steps can we take to be proactive and uh, really engaging in these spaces that are of need. Another one you talked about economic, the economic inequalities and disparities, and that's huge right now in speaking specifically for the millennial generation. There's so much economic fragility because of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. And student debt has become such a major issue that now you're, you're graduating with this, these great skill sets, but then your back is also against the wall because now you have this surmounting debt. And so you're starting your professional career at a disadvantage having to overcome financial obstacles. What are we doing about that? And how can these, even how can these companies get involved who are leveraging your newly found skill sets in the marketplace? Can they also now bear some of that burden of the student debt? Or what is the government going to do overall to, to alleviate some of this student debt? And so these are things that we take very seriously. These are things that have to be looked at. We have to give our um, efforts and intention to them because if we don't, the, the, the repercussions could be immense. And so those are, you, you, you're spot on. Yeah, the economic fragility, the racial tensions, the climate crisis, these are all things that we're, we're taking a look at and seeing what can be done. Right now is a great time with legislative sessions starting because now we can have a voice legislatively and propose and draft legislation, which is exactly what our organization is working on doing. And we've done that um, in the state of Georgia, and we intend to also replicate these efforts in neighboring states um, to really cause national change overall. Your website, your Perfect Love Foundation, and of course, TizWin.com, you want to be able to spread this. Um, and of course, I would love to do anything I can to, you know, do push cards or whatnot. How can we? be involved in what you're doing at this point as you are just, you know, beginning to not only make great waves in your great state of Georgia, but how can anybody listening worldwide, um, if they want to be in touch with you, uh, what do we do? Absolutely. So people who want to get involved in the campaign, um, I'll speak twofold. If people would like to get involved with the Perfect Love Foundation, uh, the Perfect Love Foundation is a nonprofit 501c3 tax exempt organization. And Perfect Love has three focuses community, education, and civic engagement and advocacy. And so if people would like to get involved with the overall organization, that they could simply go to the website and fill out the form and we'll contact them and they can be involved. Uh, once again, the three areas that Perfect Love focuses on is community, education, and advocacy. On the community side, we deal with um, homeless students. On the education side, we have after-school programs, and we really focus on equipping um, middle school students and disrupting the cycles of poverty and insecurity and lack. And then on the advocacy side of things, we have the Millennial Civil Rights Campaign, 
wherewith if people are interested in getting civically engaged and really having a voice politically and otherwise, then we ask that they go to millennialcivilrights.com and they can register um, and sign up so that they can be informed with some of the things that we're doing, uh, some of the events, our legislation. Everything is on millennialcivilrights.com and so they can see our efforts. And as we get updates, like we got some updates today as far as some of the bills that we've drafted and them being assigned to various committees. So we're going to be having updates on there and keeping everybody informed, and that is MillennialCivilRights.com. I was blessed to have a great mentor in the late John Conyers. He was also a civil rights icon, and I'm sure you have learned a lot from uh, not only Andrew Young and um, John Lewis, who was met. Um, he was at the opening of my family's art gallery. I wanted you to tell me maybe two things that you've learned from these guys um, or, you know, what you've learned in your advocacy and, and doing what you need to do. What will you take away from them? Wow. Uh, you know, we're talking about two giants that have such an immense range of knowledge and wisdom. I think uh, one of the I'll give two things that I, I kind of took away. One was that I remember in a conversation me saying that I don't think that we have a lot of the same limitations that existed during the 1960s civil rights movement and that, you know, we, you all have accomplished so much. We, we don't have the legal restrictions that I have to drink out of particular water fountains or eat at certain restaurants versus other restaurants. I don't have to worry about today walking outside and getting sprayed with a hose or, or bit by a German shepherd, these are not things, imminent threats that I face today based on the work that you all did. And so I feel like we almost have no excuse. We can be doing more. And one of the things that was birthed from that conversation was this fact that, hey, well, I don't know about that. Because our fight today is now twofold. And just learning from them that Whereas they were simply gaining ground in every action and every piece of legislation, they were gaining ground, gaining rights. In our day, we stand the chance to lose some of the rights that they fought for, and then we're still trying That's to right. further it. So we had we had the fight on two twofold now, and so that was a, a, a an awakening and a really uh, moment of epiphany, if you will, when that was shared with me, and just the realism that. You know, we do have this fight on two fronts. Although we don't face the same direct obstacles physically a lot of times that they face, we do face the opposition and potentially losing the game, the ground that they gained, and then now also fighting to gain more in terms of human and civil rights. Uh, the second thing that was really, <laughs> that was really, um, really cool from Andrew Young, Ambassador Young, that he shared, and it, it really took some of the pressure off. Uh, I said, I remember asking them, hey, how did you all know to do all this? How did you, and they said, there was no blueprint. He said, there's no blueprint to all of this. There's no script. He said, you know, we did what we felt needed to happen in the time. And it takes the pressure off annoying, hey, there's there's no script to follow. There's no blueprint for social progress and change. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it and the results would already be here. And so as long as you feel as though you're doing exactly what is needed in the time frame that you are here on this earth, 
then follow that. Uh, the other thing for him was he said that the civil rights movement was very much so a spiritual movement. He felt spiritually led to do a lot of those things. And although we shared the same faith, I, I too like the idea that a lot of the efforts that are being done are, are necessary, they're timely, and it's just about young people getting involved, people of all ages getting involved, people of all ethnicities and races getting involved and saying, hey, enough is enough. Enough of the mass shootings, enough of the racial tension, enough with the climate crisis, enough has to be enough. And we're going to step up and we're going to come together to really form coalitions, partnerships, allies to address these issues so that the subsequent generations don't have to inherit the generations, um, the issues of our generation. And so that's what we're doing. And those were two things that I really took away from, from those great, great men. I'm talking to K.O. Swain. You can get in touch with him to speak and to learn about his uh, foundation, Perfect Love Foundation, at koswin.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Any parting words that you'd like to give our audience? Hey, thank you so much for having me be a part of the show. As you said, if people want to get in contact with me, they can either go to taoswin.com or they can find out about our work at perfectlovefoundation.org and millennialcivilrights.com. And I just want to encourage everybody to keep pushing forward where progress is concerned because it is obtainable and when we can make a difference together in this generation. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll be giving live events anytime you want to come on. And let us know what's going on or, you know, if you've got some regional, uh, um, you know, anything going on, you're more than welcome to come back and let us know uh, what's going on with hey. you. And, uh, you know, it, it'd be great to actually see and follow you throughout the years. And I'm sure that your foundation and you're going to grow. And I know I'm going to get a lot of questions. <laughs> and you're probably going to get a lot of it. Thanks so much for awesome. being with me. Hey, thank you for having me. And you have a great day. You too.